What's up, Victory family? How you guys doing today? All right. Well, it's good to be here. We are, uh, have everyone joining us, all campuses, Hamilton Mill, Midtown. Uh, what's up, Hamilton Mill? Make some noise. What's up, Midtown? Make some noise. And Norcross, make some noise in here. All right. Um, also, we have people joining us all around the globe. I want to welcome Colombia, Liberia, Indonesia, and all of the other countries joining, joining us. How many of you have been enjoying this family series? Family-ish. Been a great series. Hey, so go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 8. Open up Luke chapter 8 in your Bible. Uh, we're going to be going there in just a couple of moments. Go to the New King James Version. And um, as we kind of start out today, I want to take you back to Saturday, May 4th, 1996. Some of you thinking, like, what happened Saturday, May 4th, 1996? And some of you were not even born May 4th, 1996. But Saturday, May 4th, 1996, I was a, a college student at the great university of West Georgia. Somebody make some noise, West Georgia. I know, I know they were at Hamilton. All of you were at Hamilton Mill in Midtown. We know that. <laughs> so I was a college student at University of West Georgia. I had been uh, had given my life to Christ about seven months earlier, and I decided on that weekend, that Saturday, I decided to go home and uh, be, with, be at my mom's house because everybody knows we got to get home to get some mama's cooking. That was what I wanted to do. And my older sister also came to the house that weekend. And so that Saturday morning, I'm making breakfast, uh, hooking it up, and my sister comes down, and she's sitting behind me. And as I turn around from cooking, I turn around, and my sister is staring at me with tears rolling down her face. And so I'm thinking, I'm like, oh my God, I just gave my life to Christ. Who am I going to have to jump on for messing with my sister? <laughs> so I just stopped. I said, I stopped concerned. I asked her, okay, so, hey, so what, what's happening? What's going on? And this is what she said to me. She said, poke. All right, let me, let me give you a disclaimer. All right, disclaimer. My nickname is Poke. That's what my mama called me most of my life growing up. Now, that's for my mama to call me. <laughs> don't call me Polk. Don't call me Pastor Polk. Any of that. That's, no, no. Call me Darius. So she, said, she says to me, she says, Polk, I see how happy you are. I see how much, pe how much peace you have in your life. And I don't have that. And then she says this. I want what you got. So in that moment, I went over to my sister. I prayed for her. I led her in the prayer of salvation. She gave her life to Christ right there in my mama's house eating breakfast. You know, the special part about that is not, it's not that, you know, it was the first person I led to Christ. Um, what's so special about it is that it was my sister, someone who I loved so dearly that I had the opportunity to walk through uh, the prayer of salvation with. And here's, here's what I know. There's some people in this room right now, some people right now watching online. There's many of you that are praying for some of your loved ones. 
Many of you are praying that some of your loved ones would receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. How many prayers have you sent up for that loved one? How many times have you cried out to God for that loved one? And that's what we're talking about today. I believe God wants us to see a loved one restored to saving faith in Jesus. Now, before we go any further, you know, uh, I know that as parents, there is real grief, pain involved when it's your son or, or your daughter. And you, might, you may be at home right now and you're thinking, okay, you know, I don't know where to go from here. I don't know... Uh, all the mistakes that I've made. I don't know how to turn. I don't know what to do. I'm telling you right now that God is here for you. And I want you to know that you may, be, be, you may have family members full of disbelief, full of unbelief to the point of deception. And, you know, you can feel responsible for that as a parent. You may feel like I didn't do a good job as a parent. As a parent, we may feel angry because we personalize our loved one's decision and we make it more about us. And you know what we say, I raised you better than that. You know, but I want you to know that the Lord is not only here to heal your loved ones, he's here to heal your heart today also. He's not just here for them. I, don't want, you to, I want you to know that Jesus still can save. And here, here, here's what I want you to know before we go any further. I want everybody in here to know that you can't save anybody. But, but God can. God can still save. It's important to know that none of us are perfect. There's not a perfect parent in here. You know, the only perfect parent that we have ever seen in the Bible was God. God was a perfect parent. But do you remember what happened with his children? Sometimes we forget about that part of the Bible. We forget that God is the perfect parent, and he placed his perfect children in a perfect garden, in his perfect presence, and you know what his perfect children, Adam and Eve, did? They did the same thing that our children do. Let's make it personal. They do the same thing we did. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. You know, I'm not saying, and here's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we don't have any responsibility. We have responsibility as parents, as brothers and sisters, as mothers. We have responsibility in this, but here's the thing. The decisions that our loved ones make don't necessarily reflect our failures or our successes because love comes with choice, and people can choose to do whatever they want to do, including walk away from your instruction, walk away from God. But how many of you, of you know that God is good enough to redeem everything that we've lost? God can redeem some people. He can take a life and he can do something special with it. So I want to come against the spirit of shame or guilt that you may have come in here with. This is not that type of message. I'm not going to beat you up over the head about you being a better parent. But I believe in this message today that we can, get a, we can take a posture with God, that we can be in a place that we can help our loved ones come into relationship with him. No need to feel unworthy. 
God can still redeem. No need to feel unworthy because maybe you made a decision that your family relationships were so toxic that you had to have some distance in them. And now you're trying to find a way to get back in the relationship and you don't feel like you have a voice. I'm saying that God can restore that. God can bring, can bridge the gap. And I believe today, as we hear this message today, that God is going to encourage us in our faith to believe again. Can somebody say amen across all the campuses? Amen, Pastor Darius. Amen. Amen. So I want you to know that God can still work miracles. Let's look at this. Let's look at our source scripture in Luke chapter 8. I want to uh, dive into this. Luke chapter 8, verse 41. Here's what it says. Uh, it says, and behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. Now think about that. He fell down at Jesus' feet and begged Jesus to come to his house. How many of you right now in this moment need Jesus to come to your house? How many of you in Midtown, Hamilton Mill, you need Jesus to come to your house? You've done all that you can do. You've said all that you can say, but you still need Jesus to come to your house. This is the situation that we're in in Luke chapter 8. Jesus is needed at the house of Jairus because the Bible says he had an only daughter that was, that was about the age of 12 that was near death. And it's a desperate situation. And we see that it's a desperate situation because of Jairus' response to Jesus. We do know that the situation had to be serious enough to, to require Jesus to come there. We don't know the name of the disease. We don't know why it happened. All we know that death is imminent and that there was only one physician that could do anything about it. The great physician, the great physician Jesus. That's all we know. And the story is not only speaking to the natural death. I believe this story is a representation of the spiritual death that many of us have in our families, many of us have in our households. And I believe this story can give us insight into what we need to do in order to facilitate the presence of Jesus and walk him into our house. Now, here's, here's the idea. You know, the Bible says that... Uh, Jairus was a ruler in the synagogue. You know what that means? Here's what that means. It means, and, and, and it's very important that we get that, because here's what it means. It means that, that it doesn't matter the title that comes before your name. It doesn't matter the initials that come after your name. None of that matters. Here's what I know. It doesn't matter if you're a doctor so-and-so. doesn't matter how many degrees you have. I know this, that spiritual wickedness is coming for our families, and it doesn't matter what, the name, what name we have on us. It doesn't matter how many degrees you have. Look, spiritual wickedness is not going down your zip code, going down your street, looking at the zestimate value of your home and saying, you're not qualified to be tempted. You're not qualified because your house is above 500. 100K. Spiritual wickedness and spiritual death is coming for our families. And here's what I know. Deception and deceit does not discriminate. It doesn't. 
I learned a long time ago that it doesn't matter if I wanted to do all I can with Christ and for Christ. It did not exempt my family members from being attacked by the enemy. It did not exempt my family members, my children, my, my wife. It didn't exempt none of them from falling into a place that they could be deceived. How many of you are with me on that? How many of you would say, how many of you would say today, Pastor Darius, I need Jesus to come to my house. You know, Jairus is desperately begging Jesus to come to his house. And I feel like we need to take a cue from Jairus. Sometimes we need to get rid of our dignity. Sometimes we need to get rid of our titles and be honest about the fact that we truly need Jesus. That without him, we are nothing. If he doesn't come in and do something real quick, we're lost. If he didn't come in and save my life, I would be lost. We need to have a desperation about us and a hunger about us to get him into our homes, into the presence, get our people into the presence of God so that God can resurrect the life of us and our loved ones. Can I get an amen, Midtown? Can I get an amen, Hamilton Mill? Can I get an amen, Norcross? Now, I can imagine Jairus going through the process, like many of us, retracing the steps. You know what we do when we have, uh, especially like a child. We retrace the steps. You know, how did we get to this place right here that my daughter, spiritually speaking, I know some of you may be right here, that you're saying my daughter who, who went to church all of her life, my daughter who went on the missions trips, my daughter who sung with the praise team, my daughter, who served and was on fire for God, now is spiritually dead. How did we get to the place that my son, who served with me in ministry, my son, who I was at all of his football games, his baseball games, his basketball games, my son, who I loved so much, who was following God and after God, how did we get to the point that my son now is spiritually deceived? I know that's where many of us are. Some of you are saying, how did I miss the symptoms of deceit and not catch up to this, catch up to what's happening until it was too late? But I'm here to tell us today that it's not too late. And I know I'm not the only one who's had to carry my cross into my closet and cry out to Jesus for my loved ones. I'm not the only one. I know there's some people in here. I know there's some people online that you're carrying the cross and the burden of the people that you love with you today. Right now, you have a, you have a burden for that mother that you love. You have a burden for that, that husband that you love. You have a burden for the people you love, and you're trying to find out what, is, what are you up to, Jesus? What are you going to do in their life? And I'm telling you today that the Lord is here for us. He's here to stir up something inside of us to believe again to pray again, to understand that he's still a deliverer. He's still a savior. You know, it reminds me of the, the old hymn by Fanny Crosby, Pass Me Not. Come on, somebody, come on. You know what it says, Savior, Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. 
I wish I had an organ back here, boy. A rare back like a Baptist preacher up in here. Amen. So, where do we go from here? We're here. We're in this situation. Jairus is right there in this situation, and many of us are like Jairus. So where do we go from now, from here? How do we, how do we find balance between God's part, what he does, and our part, what we should do? I want you to remember something in this story. I want you to know that Jesus didn't just show up to Jairus' house uninvited. Jairus extended the invitation to Jesus. So you want to know our part? We have to extend the invitation. All campuses, I want you to repeat this after me. Say, Lord, help me to extend the invitation. Say that with me again. Lord, help me to extend the invitation. Let's say it one more time with some conviction. I believe something is shaking. Lord, help me to extend the invitation. There's someone here today under the sound of my voice that needs to know that it's not too late. Like in this story with Jairus, you know, Jesus is on his way. And as he's on his way, a familiar story, another familiar story in the Bible comes alive. The woman with the issue of blood comes up and she touched the hem of Jesus' garment. And Jesus begins to have a conversation with Jairus, have a conversation with the lady. And at that moment, right after this miracle, Luke chapter 8, uh, starting at verse 51, at this point, um, 49, it says that Jesus, while he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue synagogue's house, saying to him, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. It may look like your situation is grim. It may feel like it's too late, but I want you to know it's not too late, that God is still doing something. They told Jairus, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's too late. She's dead. A lot of us feel like that sometimes. When we look at the outward appearance of what's happening in some of our loved one's life, we feel like, you know what? I've prayed enough prayers. This thing is done. I'm not praying anymore. I don't, you know, I can just speak for myself. You know, over the 20 years, 20-something years, you know I've been praying for some people for a long time. And how many of you have been praying for somebody and it seemed like the situation got worse? You're like, man, I ain't going to pray no more because it seems like every time I pray, something bad happens. Some of us are in that situation. So the people in our spirit, in our mind, our flesh is telling us it's too late. But this, it's never too late for God. I want you to think about you. Think about what it took for God to win you. What if he said it was too late? Mm, mm -mm. I'm telling you that there's many of us that are here today that we're serving God and we're loving God because some people who went before us did not give up. We're here 
We're here because of the prayers of our grandmothers and our grandfathers. We're here because of the prayers of our brothers and our sisters. Some of you have great-grandparents that prayed for this day, for you to be here right now listening, for you online to listen right now. It may not even been the prayer. It may not even been your mother's prayer. It may have been your great-great-grandfather's prayer that brought you here today because they didn't give up on you. They didn't give up on the legacy and the promise that God had for you. You know, the Bible talks about the prophet. It said that they sought for a promise that they would never really actually get to experience. And I'm telling us today that no matter what it looks like in our life, no matter what it looks like in our family's life, God can still do a miracle. Don't you give up. It is not too late. I want you to think about this story. You know, the Bible, may, uh, the Bible says that Jairus was right there. And you know what that, the, his name means? It means God will awaken. So Jairus is right there. And here, here's, the, here's the interesting thing about the story is that Jairus goes to Jesus and he tells Jesus to come back to his home. But he didn't just go to Jesus and then go back home and wait on Jesus to arrive. He was one of those people, like some of us, that when we tell somebody something, we're going to stand right there and we're going to wait till they do it. How many of you like that? I'm like that. He was one of those people that he, he, he was one of those people that believed that, that, that he could find the solution. And he clinged onto what what he felt like the solution. He didn't, he knew he was not the solution, but he knew that Jesus was the solution. You know, Pastor Mo at Midtown uh, years ago uh, wrote a book called Be the Answer. And in this book, you know, Mo was talking about that uh, you need to be the person who brings the solution. You know, some of us, we're glass half empty type of people. And so when it comes to our loved ones, we give up easy. But some of us, we need to shift that mentality. We need to know that if we can put the, the, the issue, the problem into Jesus' hands, that Jesus can do way more with it than we can. We need to believe that Jesus can do way more with our, our loved ones than we can. And that's what Jairus believes. So he's walking with Jesus. He's walking with Jesus back to the house. He's making sure Jesus gets there. And here's, here's what, we, what we see. That Jesus just doesn't rush to the house. How many of you know sometimes God takes his time? And I want you to notice something. It is his time. He takes his time. And I know if I'm with Jesus, I'm like Jairus, and Jesus is saying, who touched me? And I'm like, what do you mean somebody touched you? We got to get to the house. My daughter is about to die. Come on, Jesus. He's stopping and he's talking and he's having conversation like we don't have some place to be. And I'm looking at him and I'm, I'm standing behind the woman with the issue of blood. And I'm like, yeah, she healed. Let's. Can we get to the house? Jairus was trying to ensure that the presence of God made it to his house. He was trying to make sure that 
he talked to Jesus. He want to make sure we get this connection with the Savior, the healer, the deliverer. We need to get you in the house so that your presence can fill the house and my daughter can come alive. We need to get you in the house so your presence can fill the house so my son who is deceived can come alive. We need to get you in the house so my mother can come alive. We need to get you in the house so my father can come alive. We need to get you in the house, Jesus. So, Here's the question we have. How do we live in such a way that we extend the invitation to restoration? How do we live? Now, let's take a look at Colossians chapter 4, and we're going to get some directive from these scriptures. Get some direction on what we can do, some practical things we can do in order to have some directive. Colossians chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, it says in the New King James Version, it says, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. It's talking about unbelievers. Redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. I want to read this from the New Living Translation also. It says, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. All right. So how do we extend the invitation, Midtown and Hamilton Mill? How do we extend the invitation? We extend the invitation, number one, when we walk in wisdom with our loved ones. Walk in wisdom with our loved ones. Everyone across all campuses say wisdom. wisdom. You know, Proverbs 11 and 30 said, he that wins souls is wise. You know, a lack of wisdom can cause your family to despise you versus admire you. And when we talk about wisdom, there's many different angles we can talk about wisdom from. But I want to point your attention to one thing that I think is mission critical when we talk about wisdom. And here's the statement that I want you to hear about this point. Wisdom listens before it speaks. If we get, listen, if we get that out, go home right now. Because here, here's what I know. If we could just listen, all of our loved one's heart will unlock to us. Wisdom listens before it speaks. Now, I want to I drive this home. I want to drive this home. You know Proverbs is the book of wisdom, right? So I want to drive this home. I got a number of scriptures I want to read to you. Let's look at this. When wisdom listens before it speaks. Look at this. It says Proverbs 12 and 15. It says a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 17 and 27, whoever restrains his words has knowledge. Look at this one, Proverbs 17 and 28, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. Mm. Some of y'all need to shut your mouth. <laughs> no, no, I don't mean that like that. And it goes on to say, when he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Proverbs 18 13, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Proverbs 21 and 13, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Proverbs, James 1 19, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. James 1 and 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. 
Do you, do you think there is something in the fact that we need to listen more than we speak? We read all of those scriptures. I'm telling us right now that when we look at the scripture, it says live wisely, make the most of every opportunity. I feel like some of us have been missing the opportunity because we have been too busy running our mouths instead of lending our ears. I feel like that we thought the opportunity is, was in our, what we were saying and what we were speaking instead of in what we were hearing. Because people have strongholds. People have things that they're fighting against. And if we just go at people and just start talking, we miss what, what they may be bound to. It's kind of like Paul in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verse 22. Famous scripture, he says, when I am with those who are weak, I share their weaknesses. How did Paul do that? He listened. It goes on to say, that for I want to bring the weak to Christ. He says, yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. How does he find common ground with everyone? He listens. If we don't listen, we'll never understand the context of our mission field. Did you know that the mindset of your family members is a mission field? Some of us go all around the world reaching the lost, and we, we figure out the context of where we're going. We ask all the questions that we need to ask when we land on a, in a distant country because we're trying to figure out the context, but we don't take the time to understand the context of the people that we're trying to reach in our own family. We just make the assumption that because their bodies grew up in the same house that we know what's happening in their mind. And that is not the reality. I want you to think about yourself. When I think about me, my mindset as an unbeliever was a mission field. And my feelings, my feelings, Darius Dunson, my feelings were like fortified walls. So much so that when people came to me when I was in college to, to talk to Jesus about me, most of the time they only came one time. Because those fortified walls were coming up. And I feel like oftentimes what we do, we waste our ammo on fortified walls. You know what happens, um, used to happen back in the day when, when, a, when there was a battle and there was a, a wall around a city and there was an army that was coming in to do battle with that city. What would happen, they would come to that to that castle, that, that fortress, and they wouldn't just go ahead and start shooting arrows or, or, or shooting rocks or anything like that. They would stop. They would ask the people who were in charge of, those, of that city to come out and have a conversation, and they would come and have a conversation with them. You know, the reason why is because they were trying to do a, a reconnaissance on what was actually happening behind closed doors. What, was, what were they really up against? Because here's what I know, that in our family there are strongholds. You know, my stronghold with receiving Jesus was this. I just didn't believe that the history of the Bible lined up. So when somebody came to me talking about Jesus loved me and that he died on the cross for me, I couldn't even hear that because you were having the wrong conversation. But if you would have asked me the questions, I would have exposed to you what was actually going on. 
Sometimes we're trying to give people information or give people heart when they need information, and sometimes we're trying to give people information when they need heart. But it all begins with listening. Everyone say, listen. Listen, Linda. Some of y'all have been on social media. We have to do some spiritual reconnaissance. I want to give you something to do. So one of the things that you can do is practice listening. It's called active listening. And here's what active listening is. I want to give you a definition of it. Active listening, it is the process of listening attentively while someone else speaks, paraphrasing and reflecting back what is said and withholding judgment and advice. Now, some of you say, you had me until you said withholding judgment and advice. Because how many of you like to give advice? Come on, raise your hand. I'm going to raise mine. I love giving advice. The reality of it is, is that sometimes we're giving advice and we haven't allowed people to process through what they're going through. When is the last time we sat down with that child who may be wayward and instead of telling them, this is the right way, this is what you need to do, and say, okay, so tell me, tell me how did you get there? What's going on? And the problem is, is when they begin to tell you, everything, is, everything in your heart, everything in your mind is like, no, going crazy. Because you want to say, you want to you save them. But remember, you can't save anybody. Only God can. What if we just sat back and listened and allow the strategy of the enemy against our loved one to be revealed so that we can know how to strategically get around the walls and break down those strongholds that they have? But oftentimes, we don't walk in wisdom. We just go and we begin to blurt out what we feel like is going to happen. And we're shooting ammo at fortified walls. I believe that God wants to give us wisdom on how to impart to our loved ones, how to listen and love and allow them to be heard to a point that they open up their hearts so that we can truly impart the love of God inside of them, but also we can impart truth inside of them in a way that they can receive it. Somebody say, listen. So we extend the invitation when we walk in wisdom. Number two, we extend the invitation when we abound in grace towards our loved ones. Now, you know, Colossians 4 and 6, it said, be gracious and attractive. Did you know that grace was attractive? You're thinking about a person, not that, not, not the person grace. Grace is attractive. Grace is more attractive than judgment. You know, the Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads someone to repentance. Romans uh, chapter 5, verse 20 and 21, it says that God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You get that? Hamilton Mill, the Bible said that grace rules. Midtown, the Bible says that grace rules instead. You know, 
that same grace that God extended to you, what would happen if we extended that same grace to the people that we love? You know, the same grace that when you were not even thinking about God, that grace came in and saved you. Like me, I was a total mess before God came and saved my life. I was a total mess. No one would have said to, about that guy 27 years ago or 26 years ago, that guy one day is going to be speaking life into people's lives. Matter of fact, there's been people from college that, that have walked through the doors of this church and they saw me preaching and they would come up to the, they were like, I would have never saw you up there preaching. Are you really changed? <laughs> and some of them don't even come back. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I added that part. You know, we have to get back to loving people the way that God loved us. You know, that's what Jesus said. He said, a new commandment I give you that you would love each other the same way I love you. That's what he said. You know, don't let someone's yesterday affect or define who they are today. Don't let someone's today define the potential of who they can be tomorrow. Too often we give up on people. Too often we leave people for dead. Aren't you glad that God did not leave you for dead? Some of you are online right now. Aren't you glad that God didn't leave you for dead? We could have been left for dead, but Jesus came to the house, resurrected us, and gave us new life. That's what they said to Jairus. Look, let her go. She's gone. There's no coming back from this. She's really dead. But Jairus believed that he served a savior who could bring dead things back to life. Here's the thing. We're not contending with sin. We're contending with life or death. The reality of it is this. The reality of it is this. No, there's not one person in here that's too far gone. You haven't smoked enough drugs. You haven't had enough sex. All of that to cause the love of God to be far away from you. Jesus will come into your life and he will save your life. Somebody say, if he can save me, he can save anybody. I'm glad y'all are honest in here today. So Jesus says to Jairus, don't be afraid. Only believe, and she'll be made well. I want you to know that the walls that people have, that grace can overcome those walls. You know, because oftentimes we're doing it in our own strength. We're saying all the words we can. We've exhausted all of our resources. But I want you to know that the Bible says it's not by power nor by might, but it is by his spirit, says the Lord. It is by his spirit. That's in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 7. And I want you to, I want to read a little bit more of that scripture because I think that if we can get a picture of what Jesus is talking about through, his, through the scriptures in that, in that particular verse, it goes on to say this. It says, what are you, you great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You will become a plain, and he will bring out the top stone with shouts of grace 
grace to it. Here's what the Bible is saying. Some of you need to be shouting grace over your loved one. Some of you need to be shouting grace to that situation, believing that the walls that have come up, those walls can come down. Believing that no matter how thick the walls are, no matter how tall it are, they are, that those walls can come down. But we have to extend the grace of God. We have to extend the grace of God to our loved ones, to our fathers, our mothers, our brothers, our sisters, our sons, and our daughters. I believe that God wants to do something in the lives of our loved ones. He wants to bring them back to life. Now, I know I'm not the only one in here that's believing God that he's going to step in and do something special in the life of one of our loved ones. I understand this, that the mountain may look big. It may look bigger than what you can handle, but it's not too big for grace. Yeah, that's good, Pastor. But if you had a burden for that person, knowing that one of, the, one of the ideas is that if you extended the invitation to this person, if you could just get Jesus in the presence of the home, if you had a burden and a desire and a passion, understanding that you have a part to play in extending the grace of God so that the grace of God could tear down the walls and that this week, this week that there's some things that are changing in their life because you're extending grace, that this month there's going to be some situations that's going to happen, that there's going to be a turnaround in their life because of the grace that you extended, that this year that God is working some things out for their good, that this month that God can do a miracle in your house. If you knew that while your child, while your son, your daughter is off in college, away from you, you don't know what they're doing in college. How many of you have been in college before? Did you do the right thing in college? Somebody started praying right there. But if you shouted grace and you shouted grace to it, that right now there's some people that God is sending to your son or your daughter in college, and they're going to minister to them. They're going to hear the word of God. When I got to college, God had some people there to minister to me, to bring me back to life. Jairus, Jairus, wake up. Bring Jesus to the house. Come on, somebody. We have to extend the invitation. When we extend the invitation, we walk in wisdom with our loved ones. When we extend the invitation, we we abound in grace towards our loved one. And lastly, when we extend the invitation, we agree in prayer for our loved ones. Now, this one is special to me because here's what I know. Sometimes we look at how tough it may be and we give up. Like I said before, some of us have prayed 20,000 prayers for a loved one and nothing has changed. But I know that God, what God wants to do in our heart today, I know that what God wants to do is to awaken us to the truth of the Bible. That if we could agree in prayer that God could do something special in their life. And, and, and if we look at this story, look at Luke chapter 8. Verse 51 and 54. I didn't forget about the story because I think this is a key component. We have Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. He gets to the house, and I want you to look at what he did. It says, when he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John. Everyone say three. 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 And 
the father and mother of the girl. Everyone say two. So we have three people that Jesus brought with him, and we have another two that he brought in. All together, we have five people. And it says, but he put them all outside. That means he took the, the, the two and the three in, and he put everyone else outside the house. Here's what I know. I know that if you could just link up with two or three people and agree in prayer that there's some things that God would unlock in your life. Jesus understood this principle. He walked in this principle. That's why he said in Matthew chapter 18, verses 18 and 19, he said, again, I say to you that if two believers on earth agree, that is, are of one mind in harmony about anything they ask within the will of God, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Look at what it says. It says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, meeting together as my followers, I am there among them. Jesus walks in. He's walking in the principle. Now, many of us, we've gotten tired because we forgot about this principle, and we've been trying to pray alone. We've been trying to cry out to God alone. But if you could just get two or three people that could agree with you about the situation, I believe that this scripture is true. How many of you believe that the word of God is true? He said, if you can agree about anything according to my will, that it'll be done. How many of you know that it is God's will that your loved ones be saved? It is God's will. You remember when Noah got on the ark in the book of Genesis? When he got on the ark, God didn't just put Noah in the ark and let his family go away. He brought the whole family in. He brought Shem, Ham, and Japheth in and their wives. I believe God wants to save everybody in our family. I believe he's working right now. I believe he's moving right now. And even according to the scripture in 2 Peter, he said it. He said it's his will that we all be saved. 2 Peter 3 and 9. It says, the Lord is not slow about his promises. Somebody say, God is not slow. God is not slow. He's on time because it's his time. It said he's not slow about his promises as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Look at this. It says, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. It is the will of God that your family be saved. God wants your loved ones to be restored more than you want your loved ones to be restored. Can I get an amen right, right here in this section? God wants your loved ones to be saved. He wants your loved ones to be delivered. He wants your loved ones to be free. Can I get an amen, Midtown? Amen, Hamilton Mill. If you believe it, say, so be it. Amen. I believe God wants my loved ones to be saved. How many of us have stopped praying? I want to I take us to a, a story that just, it, man, it, it impacted me so big time. It was a story that was told by Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon was a great preacher, 19th century. He tells a story uh, of a woman who was praying for her husband. And when I heard this story, it just inspired me to pray again and to keep praying. So the, the story goes, it happened in the 1800s, the story goes that there was a woman 
who was believing God for her husband's salvation. And the, and the husband, you know, he was a, the, he was a drunkard. The husband was a foul-mouthed drunkard. That's kind of how what he described it to be. So uh, the woman would go to church every Sunday. The husband would never go to church with her. So she would take her dog with her to church. Now, I don't know what kind of church that was, but don't bring your dogs into church unless it's a service dog, unless it's a service dog. But anyway, let me get to the story. She would bring her dog to, the ch to church. She would sit in the same chair. The dog would curl up under the chair. Nice dog would just sit there, and she would do this from week to week, believing God for her husband, praying for him. So she did this for years. All the way to the point that it came a time that the woman died. The woman died, and the dog was still there. And because the dog was in routine, that's where his master would take him every Sunday. The dog continued to go to the church and curl up under that chair every Sunday. So the new master, which was the unsaved husband, was wondering, why does the dog keep going to this church? So one day, the, the husband decided to follow the dog to the church. So he follows the dog to the church. The dog curls up under the seat. The husband comes and realizes, oh, this is the seat that his wife used to sit down. So he sits down in the seat, and he begins to weep. He begins to weep. The pastor begins to preach and, pre and preach the message, and while the man is weeping uncontrollably, he gives his life to the Lord in that moment. Now, here's what that says to me. I don't know how God is going to restore the life of your loved one. I don't know if he's going to use a person, and I don't know if he's going to use a, use a dog. Now, not in this church, not in, not in here, not in Hamilton Miller Midtown either. But I don't know what God's going to do, but I do know this. I do know that your prayers are heard by God. That every prayer that you pray, heaven has heard it. And God is working on behalf of you. I believe that there are some of us in here that we know the power of prayer. But just because we've gotten weary that we've given up. But I know that God is a restorer. I know he wants to save our husbands and wives. So I want to just encourage you, don't give up on your husband. Don't give up on your wife. Don't give up on your son. Don't give up on your daughter. Don't give up on your brothers. Don't give up on your sisters. Don't give up on your uncles. Don't give up on your cousins. Don't give up on the people that you love. Our God is mighty to save. You know, you know, I told the story in the beginning. You know, I gave my life to Christ. And then on May 4th, my sister gave her life to Christ. And shortly after that, my other sister gave her life to Christ. And then after that, my mother gave her life to Christ. Then after that, my stepdad gave his life to Christ. And then after that, my dad gave his life to Christ. I believe that God is coming to
to your house. I believe God is coming to your house, Hamilton Mill. I believe God is coming to your house, Midtown. I believe he's going to do a mighty work. I want you to stand up to your feet with me. Oh, Jesus, I believe you're a miracle worker. I believe you're working in this house today. You were somebody's son. You were somebody's daughter. You're somebody's mother. Prayers have no time or no distance. Doesn't matter if your son is in the military or across the seas and he's unsaved. I believe your prayers have no time or no distance. That you can send a prayer right now in this service and it'll have impact in wherever it needs to go to. So here's what I want to do. I want us to take a moment. I want us to agree in prayer. Now before I go into that, there's some of you today that are here and you're like, I don't even know why I'm at this church today and I don't even know this Jesus. I've never given my life to him. Somebody's prayers have brought you here today. There's something stirring into you in your life today. The Lord wants you to know that don't harden your heart. Don't build the walls back up. He wants you to receive him today. He wants to give you new life today. And so I want to take the first step. I want to pray for any of you who, say, who would say, I want to make Jesus the head of my life. I don't want to receive him into my heart. Some of you have, have been distant from God and God wants to bring you back into the fold. He wants to bring you back. I want you to just close your eyes. I want you to close your eyes because I want you to repeat this prayer after me and then we're going to take a next step. If that's you, I want you to pray this with me. Say, Father, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sin. I believe he went in the grave and he rose again on the third day. And because he rose again, I can have salvation in his name. Now, Father, I repent of my sin. I turn away from what's wrong to follow you. Now, allow your Holy Spirit to come into my heart and make me new. In Jesus' name, I believe that I'm a child of God. Everyone say amen to that. Amen to that. Amen. Now, I want us to practice this last point, agree in prayer. You know, the Bible says, like we said, where two or three are gathered in his name, there I am in the midst. So I want to take a moment, about 20 seconds, for you to get that loved one in your mind that you're thinking about. Don't let the silence be awkward. Silence is a good thing. Get that, the name of that person in your mind, and in just a moment, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to just pair up with two or three people. And I know for you people who are introverts, you're like, oh my God, you had me, but now you're making it uncomfortable. Here's, here's, what, here's what I want you to do. I want you to practice this. Because I believe in this moment that God can do some special things. If he can do things through two or three, what can a thousand people do? That's praying. And so... I'm going to ask you to pair up in two or three people, and all I want you to do is just mention the name of the person that you're believing God for. If it's Johnny, you mention that name. If it's Shaquisha, you mention that name, whatever the name is. 
And then one or two of you just pray over those people. And you pray in this way. I believe, I believe that God can restore the person's name. I believe right now that, Lord, you're working. And I'm praying that you come to their house and you give them life. Now, if you gave your life to Christ a moment ago, you don't have to mention anyone else's name. You can just say me. You can just say me if you pray that prayer. So I'm going to give us a minute to do that. And then right after that, I want you to just come back and I'm going to pray and close us out. And look, I don't want anyone standing alone. If you see, see someone alone, just ask them the name and pray. We'll take a minute. So let's just do that one time. Do that uh, at this point in time. We're going to have some music playing. And let's go ahead and pray for each other. Two or three gather, gather together. Let's go ahead and bring it back in. Let's bring it back in. I want to close us out in prayer. This is what I would ask you. If you remember that name during the week, continue to pray for that person that you pray for. I believe there's great power in the saints praying for each other. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, I just give you praise. I thank you, Lord, for each and every person that surrendered their life the Lord, Hamilton Mill in Midtown and here today. Lord, I thank you for the mighty work that you're doing. I thank you, Lord, that as we extend the invitation to our loved ones, that the response will be life and not death. We give you praise and we give you glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Everyone said amen and amen. Amen. <laughs>